less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor. Martin, it's good to see you. You too, Khalil. It's been I've a while. I've got a question for you. Do you feel like you're a more theoretical person or a practical person? <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're doing. You're referencing a quote that I read last week. Matter of fact, it was a, an epigraph in Jeff Finney's book, That's It on Fire. Yeah. But the quote is this. In theory, there's no difference between theory and practice. In practice, there, there is. is. That's huge. And that largely explains why governments can't run economies. Here we go again, going straight into uh, governments. Well, <laughs> it is because uh, when, they, when people pass laws or develop theories, yeah. um, they look at things that are plausible. And plausible meaning reasonable. You know, that makes sense. Yeah. And why doesn't it work? Well, when they put it out there, it doesn't. And the reason is unintended consequences, unforeseen events. And I'll throw out as an example, COVID. <laughs> that had an effect on plans prior to it or sure 2019. It's so the reason anyway, why we're I love that quote day. because, um, I mean, we could get way political on it. I don't mean Democrat, Republican. I mean just philosophy of how the world works. Um, there isn't anybody who, who can predict everything, and that's why decisions, business decisions in particular, are best left to the multitudes, each mm -hmm. of whom, it's like the seeds from a tree. You don't know which one's going to land and grow, but one of them is, yep. or more, and it's the same way. So anyway, I just love that quote. It, it's uh, one of my all-time favorites now. Yeah. Well, I, I think that whole situation that you're referencing with um, the theories of government during this COVID situation are really why we're having an episode today. Right. And we're talking about inflation. I think right. it's a big topic that everyone is concerned about. Uh, there's a lot of different opinions on it and really a lot of uncertainty around it. Uh, there are some certainties, though. And so I'm going to play a little bit of I, I understand a little bit about inflation, but I don't think nearly as much as you. Uh, you've probably lived through inflation a few times um, and throughout the course of your life, but also you're one of the most well-read people that I know. And so I'm excited to ask you some of these questions. So really quick, someone's been living under a rock. What is inflation? Well, first, let me say that I don't have the answers to inflation. And yeah, and, no, but let, me, let me be really clear about something. Neither does anybody else. <laughs> Not the Fed. They don't. Yeah. It's the, it's the uh, theory versus practice. Yep. Oh, we're going to raise interest rates and mm -hmm. but we're going to manage it. We're going to have quantitative easing and we're going to put five trillion dollars in the economy. And, and anyway, people don't know. And it's if, if you don't understand inflation or, or what to do about it, your name is Legion uh, <laughs> because nobody does. And there isn't aren't a bunch of smart people uh, who understand this theory. Well, I won't go into all that, but macroeconomics. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was Hayek that said in economics, there's much to learn and little to do. And that's that theory and practice thing again. We can yeah. learn a lot when we start messing with it. It doesn't work out the way we said. But your question is, what is inflation? <laughs> and in the, in the easiest term, we can say it's general price increase, uh, price increases on labor and goods and materials. But there's a distinction to be made. <clears throat> Prices and materials and labor go up in response to supply and demand. Okay, so if uh, you have a labor shortage in North Dakota to work in the oil fields, 
prices go up. That is not inflation. That's a price increase. That's the the signal, the pricing signal, uh, helping signal where you need more resources. So people move to North Dakota. I don't know why I thought of that Bakken Field up there. But that's not inflation. Inflation is when prices go up in response to increase in the money supply. And that has certainly happened. Matter of fact, there are, I think it's 37%. There's 37% more money in the United States today in circulation. That's cash, bank deposits, CDs, you know, there's a definition for it. But there's 37% more money in the United States today than there was one year ago. And there's about, the GDP, the gross domestic product, things that were produced went up about 5%. So there's 37% more money chasing 5% more stuff. (laughs) Right? Right. And what the result is that we're suffering about 7.5% inflation right now, meaning that prices are going up on an average. And that's the problem is averages cover a a multitude of sins. But on average, they're going up about 7.5%. And you say, well, that's not, you know, seven and a half percent. Well, two things I bring about that. One is um, that the average business in the United States make a net profit of seven percent. So if you are average and your expenses go up by seven and a half percent and you don't do something about it, you've wiped out your profit. And that's in one year. Mm. Okay, it's very unlikely that it'll, it, it isn't going to happen that inflation goes away next year, right? The second thing I want to point out is in finance, there's a thing called the rule of 70 seconds or 70, yeah, 70 seconds, rule 72. And it's this, if you divide 72 by the interest rates, that tells you how many years for your money to double. Okay. For example, if you have money in the bank at 7%, which you don't, but if you did and you were earning 7%, you divide 72 by seven. And it tells you that your money will double compounding in 10 years. Make sense? Yeah. Well, it works the other way too. (laughs) Okay. If you have 7% inflation, divide 72 by seven and the value of your money will be cut in half in 10 years. That is serious. Yeah. Right. And how that, and you mentioned that I'd lived through this. I did when I started working in 1974, I don't remember exactly 74, but it, the inflation rate was around 11%. So divide 77 by 11. So what's that? Eight? Eight years, your money's worth half. So um, it creates all kinds of panic as people try to react to it and adjust to it and compensate for it. And it happens unevenly. If you're in a labor union or you work for the government or you're a sophisticated something or other, um, you can raise prices, you can raise, you know, that's what happens is uh, Social Security too, you get automatic COLAs, cost of living adjustments. And so some people are keeping up. Other people like the people working in the convenience store across the street are not, right? So it's a very uh, unfair, if you want to, uh, and disproportionate effect and who there are winners and losers and they're not defined on merit. They're defined on their positioning and perhaps their, uh, you know, just whether or not I belong to a labor union that have negotiated COLAs for me. So interest or inflation is a is a really terrible thing, and we're starting to see it now. For the it's at record levels. Uh, last um, time we were anywhere near this was 1982, 
And I have to say that at that time, I was running a group of grain elevators in Nebraska. And our interest rate on our operating loans was 22%. Hmm. My first house I bought, my loan, my mortgage interest was nine and a half. And I thought that was a great deal because it was soon up in the 12, 13s. And we won't go into all of the things, but people would pay on their house and because of limits and stuff in their contracts on the maximum amount of a monthly payment, the interest would be more than that. And they would owe more after 10 years of paying on that house than they paid for. Wow. Right? So, I mean, there are just these things that people start paying attention to inflation and they start paying attention to tax strategies and they start doing some of the things that we'll be talking about, investing and buying and uh, things that they're not what they do. Uh, matter of fact, when I, in 1978, I bought a house in Shelton, Nebraska, which is a town of a thousand people on the plains in Nebraska, okay? It's not a hotbed of research and development and venture capital. <laughs> uh, I paid $25,000 for it. Kind of a cool house. Still is a cool house. My buddy who lives up there about three months ago sent me the listing. It sold for $200,000. Why? I ask people that all the time. Why would a house that cost $25,000 on the plains of Nebraska in 78 sell for eight times as much? That's right, isn't it? Yeah. 800% increase over the inner supply. Not because of supply and demand. Correct. Therefore? It's deflation. No, it's inflation. <laughs> it's inflation. It has to be. And, and the thing is, the way it screws people is if you invested in that house and waited those years, year 25 would become 200000 mm -hmm. If you kept your cash in a savings account, you, you'd get some interest, which would be taxed away and so on. But let's say it's worth 50000 well, you just, that's what inflation does. It discourages savings, it discourages responsibility, it directs people. If you think about it, most of the people I know, a matter of fact, all our listeners will know, understand the wisdom of investing in real estate, right? Sure. I mean, they just, there are, there are two things about real estate. One is that you borrow a mortgage or you get a mortgage on it, you get a renter to pay the mortgage off for you. That's a, uh, that, that's a sound reason. But one of the main reasons people buy real estate is for appreciation of the property, right? Right. Well, that's phony. Why would the, pro the property can go up somewhere where there's a big rush, uh, go back to North Dakota when the uh, Bach and Shale opened up up there, there was no housing at all for all the workers. So people were building houses, the cost of house. So that's a supply demand deal. But in general, it just goes up because of inflation. So it's a hedge against inflation. People don't even think about it. But if you ask yourself, why am I investing in real estate? I'm a business coach, you're a marketing guy. Why are you investing in real estate? You don't know anything about it. There are people who truly know how to invest and manage and, mm -hmm. and take care of properties and get renters and evict renters and do all those things. That's a business. Why are all these people doing it? Well, they're misdirected from their primary business, which in your case is marketing, to the secondary business that you're principally doing as a hedge against inflation. Yeah. And most of the people don't even think about that. Yeah. I mean, I just, of course, I buy real estate. And of course, property increases in value. Mm -hmm. Of course, of course, that's because it's so well ingrained in us. But we've had 40 or whatever, 20 plus, 40, yeah, 40 some years. Actually, Reagan came in and defeated, whipped inflation in 1990. So we've had 32 years, 31 years without inflation, and it's here now. 
And I think one of the main reasons we're doing this is people need to be aware of it. It's not just something yeah. that you hear on the radio. <laughs> and, uh, oh gosh, that's terrible. But I don't even know why it's terrible. My house that I paid $150,000 for, man, it's worth 200000 That's good, right? <laughs> well, no. I mean, yes, in response to inflation. But the, the value of your house, in other words, if you could trade a house for 20 cows 10 years ago, you can still... Well, there's an old saying, an ounce of gold will buy a fine man's suit. And that's been true since for forever. One ounce of gold will buy a high price suit. suit. And it's true today. Eighteen hundred bucks. I'm not buying any eighteen hundred bucks. But but you can easily do that. Well, I think we've done a really good recap here. Obviously, you could talk on this all day, um, but inflation is a real thing. I think we have a better understanding of the impacts of it, it how long here. it might take, that it's here now, and how it actually happens as right. well. Um, really the the meat of this episode <clears throat> excuse me. Meet this episode, we really want to outline what we should be doing about it as business owners, as contractors. How can we adjust for inflation? And so really, we want to cover some uncertain strategies. You've, I think you've kind of mentioned one, and there's some certainty to them, but they're uncertain in, in some regards. Some bad strategies, and then some you know really good strategies that we will absolutely recommend for you, and they probably even apply outside of inflation as well. So first, let's go into some of these uncertain strategies. Um, I think one of the most uncertain is probably cryptocurrency. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I think that decentralized currency is definitely the future, in my opinion, uh, and I think it's a good thing, but there's absolutely some uncertainty to it. I right. think even just recently, Bitcoin took a huge dive. Right. Um, so that might be somewhere where, where someone can put money. It probably isn't the best uh, used to put all of your money into cryptocurrency no, at this time. No. And- Cryptocurrency is a long-term play. I don't, I don't think I'm ever even going to see it. But sure. if you didn't have um, what's called fiat money, meaning by decree, in other words, the government says, let there be five and a half trillion more dollars mm-hmm. so we can give it away. Mm-hmm. They just did that. Mm-hmm. Um, every, every government-backed fiat currency in the history of mankind has resulted in hyperinflation, uh, ultimately. We, sure. We're not there yet. I have on my phone a picture of a one quadrillion peso banknote from Guatemala. <laughs> not it's worth, worth like nothing. Not, yeah, I mean, whatever the cost of paper, wallpaper in your house with them, you know. <laughs> but uh, crypto is a long-term potential answer to that. I don't know that it'll work, but it has some promise. Um, and so I, I talk to people about buying crypto, you know, buy $1,000 worth or $100, just be in the game so you're paying attention. Yeah. Uh, because I want people, when the government comes out, and I said, when, not if, and wants to regulate <laughs> or quash it because it damages yeah. their, their plans or their ability to do yeah. what they want. Um, I, te- I, I want people who say, well, wait a minute. And if, if you have $100 worth of Bitcoin mm-hmm. uh, or other crypto and an article comes out on it, you might read it because you're interested. Got yep. a little bit of skin in the game. I'd never tell anybody to use crypto as a hedge against inflation. And the reason for that is it's new enough as a currency that people are speculating on it. They're buying and they're wanting it to go from 30, what's well, in the 40s now, but $60,000, which it was 69,000, and then sell it and make the bank. And do, so they're speculating on it and trading it. Over time, people like me, I've bought crypto and I've never sold any, ever. Yeah. Because 
it, it will stabilize and be like gold um, more it, it'll it'll stabilize so sure it's kind of a long-term answer but it's not anything to do it's not yeah. going to help you today yeah it, it's it's definitely not something that you would want to stake all of your cash into at this point no, uh, i mean wrong. you could get really lucky but yeah that's it you would be lucky you would it, be playing the lottery essentially and, yeah the bitcoin guys uh you know it's going to this and going to that i want to reiterate nobody knows nobody knows there is not a group of smart guys sitting somewhere manipulating this nobody knows and, and that's really these uncertain strategies it's more so nobody really knows right. there's there's probably some validity to them but there's possibility there's to possibility them. to but, them yeah. but it's it's just uncertain uh the next one is real estate which you've already mentioned right. which you know go and have you have that extra cash go and put it into an asset that's a, a good strategy most times to but there's some things that can probably happen also during inflation doesn't the real estate market crash a little bit <laughs> not crash but well you know it's funny because a lot of our listeners were alive in 2008 and and i'm going to say this rhetorically but real estate went to zero mm -hmm. right I, I don't think most of it actually went zero zero but certainly went it crashed mm -hmm. and at that time that's what everybody thought i mean we walked around yeah i mean for a period i don't know how long the recovery took but number of years everything well wow, real estate's bad today it's the opposite it's, doing really it's well. the opposite. Oh my gosh. Boise, Idaho and Austin, Texas and some of the places I know about in Colorado, you know, things have doubled in two years. More go, sometimes. It's really, yeah, it's really cool. All of this is happening. Well, we just realized I use a metaphor of looking at it's winter here and I'm looking out at the trees and there are no leaves. And I can bring up in my mind what that tree looked like with no leaves, but not really. Sure. The same is true in the summer. There are leaves on it. I can't really remember. So there are leaves and no leaves, and people are having a hard time recalling that, that real estate can go to zero. But from a business guy's standpoint, or gal, one of the problems with doing real estate is that, I'm not saying don't do it as a hedge against inflation. It, it sure. might be wise, and you get good renters, all that. But it distracts from what you do. It distracts your attention, and it distracts your resources. So if you have an extra 100000 running around, whatever that is, mm -hmm. and you put it in a, and you start going to auctions and or looking for the right real estate property, and then you're dealing with renters, it's a distraction from what you actually do. Yeah. And so I, it's not a hideous idea. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people have protected themselves with real estate, but it's not what you really do. And one of the crimes of inflation is that it incentivizes people to pay attention to things that they don't really do. Yeah. Chase two rabbits, catch none. Right. And I think really you have to treat it almost like the Bitcoin as far as a long-term play. I think right. the, the real issue that you run into is if you're like, okay, for a couple of years, I'm going to put my cash into this real estate, right. but I do need this cash in a couple of years. Well, you don't know that you, right now the market's doubled in, in terms of real estate in some areas. So you're paying really high dollar for a property, but then with inflation, if it, even goes down a little bit in value, you've lost some of that money right. now, you know, but if it's for a long-term play to keep that money, absolutely. Probably a sound strategy, but make sure that you know what you're doing and it's not going to pull you out of, you know, where your money should be coming from, uh, and your primary occupation as a business owner. So, um, last one is we talked about loans. Um, how right now is a really good time to get a loan because if inflation does happen, the money that you're paying back is half it the is value. Happening. It is. I happening. know. If it really it take hits, like you start to see the continues. impacts. Yeah. If it continues, you start to really see the impacts of it. Um, you're now paying money back that's 
you know, not worth as much as it was right. whenever you got it. Right. Um, but the issue you run into there is, do you really need the loan? Right. Like, is it yeah. actually a, a good time for you to get if a loan? If you have an efficient use for the loan, yeah. for the money, meaning you're not borrowing money to cover losses, you're not mm -hmm. borrowing money because, oh, I had this good idea and, and it's not vetted. But if you have an efficient use for, for loans, Dave Ramsey, if he ever were to hear this, would reach through the microphone and choke me because he says there's never a time to borrow money. But um, yeah, that's that's one of the strategies and the big dogs are doing it. You borrow money now because if you pay it back in 10 years at 7% inflation, you're paying it back with money worth half. Yeah. Right? And some people think, well, how does money, how does that actually work? Well, what works is if you made a salary of $100,000 this year, for your money to be worth half, you're gonna be making 200,000, right? So it'll be a less, uh, a lower percentage of what you earn it takes sure. to pay it off. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so we've gotten through some of these uncertain strategies. I wanna talk about the bad strategies and we'll go into depth on these. Um, the first thing that we have down is, hey, I'm gonna just go chase some bigger jobs as a contractor, right? right? I want to go for the the ones that have a higher. They bring in more money to the top line, and this is a not a good strategy, especially if you're not set up for it. And you have a client. I think you got a story on this actually uh, that essentially got went through this recently. Well, it's it's never a good idea to chase sales. I mean, never, we've talked, yeah. we've we've flogged that horse, uh, but we'll continue to because sales don't mean anything if they don't bring margins mm -hmm. and if the margins aren't sufficient to generate a profit yep. and if you can't convert the profit to cash, meaning collect the receivables, right? Mm -hmm. So sales are of interest, but only because of their secondary properties, they bring those things with it. So chasing more sales as a hedge against inflation is, uh, is not a good strategy, but it's not a good strategy for anything. And I think you're referring to one client that I have, um, it wasn't their strategy, it's what happened, right? Sure, theory sure. And, theory and practice, right? Uh, these guys got a really, really big job, about two and a half times their previous high. And they tracked their costs of job costing. In other words, the, the revenue that came from that job and then the labor and the materials and some other things that were allocated to that job. And there was a really big margin there. And they wound up losing money the year that we were talking, that we discovered this. And they said, well, how can that be? And they sh threw that sheet up there and said, well, I made hundreds of thousands of dollars on this job. I said, yeah, but that was margin. What happened was the job sucked up so much capacity of their plant and took so long that the, that the margin they got was not sufficient to pay their overhead. And they wound up losing a significant seven figures amount of money, okay? But the whole time they were tracking margins, which when I said you start with sales, you go to margins, margins have to result in profit after overhead, profit has to convert to cash. Well, they got stopped at margins. And so as it's never a good strategy just to increase sales, yeah. to overcome inflation or uh, or just to make more money. Mm -hmm. It's that that's not, that's not it. And it's not always with the bigger jobs, right? Sometimes it's with more volume. Hey, we're going to right. go get more jobs. Right. And a lot of times in order to do that, you're you know, underbidding, decreasing your prices, whatever it is, to be able to get all that volume. Right. Let's keep the guys busy. 
Right. You hear that all the time. Right. And that, that may be some people's solution. Like, man, we got to go get some sales because of inflation. Right. And it's just not a good strategy because essentially you're compounding the problem of you not earning enough money and maybe even digging it more of a hole right. by getting more volume. Right. Well, it's maybe an oversimplified way to look at it. But if you're like most of the companies in the country that I talked about, bring 7% to the bottom line and we have 7%, of, it doesn't work quite this way because not everything in your P&L is subject to directly to inflation, but you have to make 15% next year. Yeah, to cover. <laughs> to, to recover. It's not quite that way. That, But anyway, you you need to make a lot more yeah. to stay the same. Even though the numbers in your bank account might be going up, you can't buy stuff anymore because the money's worth less. Yeah. It's crazy. I think, uh, you know, the, the worst strategy that we have listed out here is ignoring it Yeah. and ignoring inflation, acting like it's not happening can lead to a lot of problems. You can have issues with your finances, obviously, yeah. where your profits completely wiped out because you were only making a 7% net profit at the end right. of the day. And now inflation, inflation, seven and a half percent, you're losing money. Uh, but also you've got to adjust things. You know, you're, if you're not, if you're not paying employees a little bit more because of inflation, you're going to lose those employees. Right. And now you've got production issues. And ultimately, acting like it's not there is not a sound strategy. No. And you've got to and be I, And one thing that impinges on that really just occurred to me that a lot of my clients, probably most, are doing better now than they've ever done. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, how can this be so bad? And I said, well, let's just go look at that PPP loan in that, or grant, what it wound up being. And your EIDL. And your EIDL, and take them out. Where would you be? And that's one of the reasons we have inflation, because um, I just read this the other day. Um, personal savings uh, have gone up by about $380 billion. In other words, individuals, I don't yep. have the number for companies, but individuals have about $380 billion more in savings account yeah. than they did pre-pandemic. And so that buffers it a little bit. Say, well, I got money in the bank. Yeah, but where did it come from? You know, <laughs> did it come from fundamentals or it come from EIDL and PPP? Yeah. So, yeah. And that, that the reason I brought that up is because you said don't ignore it. That's one of the reasons people can ignore it. So, well, it's not affecting me. Well, it most certainly is. You just yeah. haven't felt the consequences yet. Yeah. And those consequences can be... they wipe you out. They'll maybe. be... Yeah. really shocking so excited to talk about some of these good strategies and again these are good strategies that can apply whether we're in inflation or out of inflation and we've talked about these strategies before uh but we'll you know cover them in the context of inflation as well and so the first one is increasing your prices i think mm -hmm. everyone understands this uh with inflation and they're probably a little nervous too but increasing your prices has to happen and there's never been a better time to increase prices because your customers are probably expecting it. Yeah, they're they expecting it. They've heard inflation. They've heard that things are going to go up. And there's rarely a time that when you're going to increase prices, customers are, yep, I understand. Right. <laughs> well, I tell yeah, that it's, it's being pretty well received. And I think I said it in a prior episode, but one thing you can't afford to do is uh, allow China to raise the price on the goods to the wholesalers yeah. and the freight to go from 5,000 container to 25,000 container. And then your wholesaler charges your nearby distributor those increases and then they get to you and you don't want to tell your client, 
you, you can't buffer the world against mm -hmm. price increase. I want to point out in passing here, because this is part of the phenomenon, is that I tell all my clients to raise prices. Yeah. Okay? I mean, it, it's a mental exercise as well as an e e economic exercise. But when we do that, we're baking in inflation. Yep. Right? We are, if everybody goes up 7.5% in response to inflation, next year we're starting 7.5% higher. Right? So we're, it's like the cost of living increases of 3% or 5% per year, whatever they are right now. They're in union contracts and they're in the contract with retired people for Social Security. They're in the contract with government workers. So you're baking it in. Yep. And to unbake it, I don't know, I don't know how we're going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yep, for sure. I think uh, with these price increases, if you're not increasing prices for inflation, you probably haven't increased your prices that or adequately enough for materials as well as, right. as a contractor. And that's just a really bad recipe. And so you, you've got to start now is the time to make right. a, a decision on that and to start looking at it. Um, and don't wait either, because if you're the last contractor that increases prices, you know, you're not going to be able to do it as efficiently. People are, are going to fight back a little bit more, right? You should have increased prices earlier, right? I've been doing, inflation's been here, right? Don't wait on it. Right. Do something now. Um, the next thing that we talked about for sound strategies is uh, getting more efficient, right? Now is the time, you know, if you, if you can't increase your prices enough, right, or you're, you're scared to do that, you can get more efficient with your costs, but also with your time. What are some, there's, you have an example of a builder that's, that's looking at this right now. Well, um, when you talk about increasing prices and reducing costs and becoming more efficient, you're, that's it. And we should do that all the time. Mm -hmm. But now it matters more. You, the things that you know have been costing you and you've been overlooking for whatever reason, and everybody listening, everybody listening knows stupid stuff they or their guys are doing. Yep that are costing money and haven't done anything about it because, oh, it doesn't matter, it's not that much. But it, when you become more efficient, it means you get more from less. And that is the defense against inflation, and that is the way to thrive as a business, no matter what. No matter what. And you asked me a question. <laughs> <laughs> that you I didn't you, you had a, a builder that you were... Oh, yeah. Well, working with a, with a builder, um, I'm, these are not his numbers, so we're not. I'm not using them. Builders' numbers, but there's something like this. Builds about 70 homes a year. Yep. And his average build time is about 240, 245 days. His intended build time, build time, some years ago was 150, and right now our target is 180. Yeah. And if you go from 240, 245 to 180 days in build time, it does a bunch of things for you. One, you're more efficient. I mean, you, you have to be organized, systemized uh, to be able to do that. Um, two, you use your resources. So if you borrow a million dollars and turn it a couple of times, that's way better than borrowing a million dollars and turning it once, right? Right. In, in a year, for example. And the third thing is, it's a defense against inflation because if things come crashing down, you don't have 70 half-built homes. <laughs> you got 35 half-built homes, which may not be good. But... Um, I mean, you don't want inventory sitting there with no buyers, but um, you, you get more efficient. The benefits of efficiency are all those things. Yeah. And you make more money, 
use fewer resources and the danger of getting hung with stuff if and when the crash comes um, are is much reduced yeah. so and and that's something too that people listening to us talking about inflation and the fed and bitcoin oh well, okay that's interesting what the hell do i do about it well in this particular case uh, the builder we've staged out uh, the building process in other words we group things that are similar you know like grading and pouring a pad and framing and putting in mechanical and anyway we've staged it and then we're counting those days uh, we're yeah. tracking those days as kpis and we're not hitting them <laughs> but what we're, and some of it's not his fault he, you know the framers are hard to get and plumbers are hard to get and if they mess things up but a lot of things are their fault uh, faults tough word they cause a lot of so what we're trying to do by staging it out and tracking the days to these different stages, and we're incentivizing the project managers too if they hit the stages. So yeah. they're having a money, monetary incentive to do it. But when you're staging it out, you look and you say, why didn't we get that slab port? You can look at it, not the whole thing. Why didn't we build that house in 150 day, or instead of 300? Well, that's too late. We want to be permitted and have a slab poured in 25 days from the release of the project. Why didn't we? City didn't give us permits. Okay, that's one thing. Or we didn't post tension the slab. That could be another thing. Or um, when we got out there with the grader, we found out that there was a, you know, a geographical a slope that we had. Anyway, those. So once you find out why are we missing it, mm-hmm. you can put in process, and then we have. And they work processes so we don't miss it next time. Yeah. Right. And that continues at every stage throughout building these houses, but it also, um, it continues forever and it continuously gets better because it, it seems overwhelming at first, but you just take one stupid thing at a time. Yeah. Right. And you say, well, the framers won't work for me. The HVAC guys won't work for me. The electricians won't work for me. Well, why not? Yeah. I mean, some of it is their price gouging and things like that. And it's not price gouging if, if that's where the market is. But but some of it's that. But some of it's it, the method, the ways you've treated them in the past uh, without respect and without understanding. That doesn't mean you roll over for everything. But, you know, you're not working with them. You, you're the boss and they work for you. And by God, they need to do what I think most of our listeners know we're beyond that. Yeah. Uh, but, but anyway, when you that that's how you translate trying to be more efficient into something I can actually do today. Yeah. Start tracking those metrics. Start and tracking examine things. why. Yeah, start tracking things, then you can yeah. start fixing things. Um, but you got to be more efficient with time, got to be more efficient with the money that you have right. and the costs that you're uh, incurring, especially while, while dealing with inflation. And it's going to continue. It's not something that you're going to just see tomorrow and then, oh, we're done. Right? It's going to continue over years and years yeah. and years. Well, and one thing, one thing about it, it's the correct strategy anyway. Anyways, that's exactly. what we talk about all the time. It's not a confusing, redirected strategy. It's the correct strategy. Yeah. And it will defend you against inflation uh, while inflation is here, but it will benefit you greatly yep. when you start putting that in your pocket or, or expanding or whatever you use the resources for. So it, in that respect, I guess, that's a good thing about inflation is it, if it impels you to do, mm-hmm. you have to do it. Exactly. Do it or perish. I think a really good resource if you are looking to cut some costs if you are looking to cut time out of your processes 
as a contractor. Go and read Two Second Lean by yeah. Paul Akers. We reference it every time we mention efficiencies. Uh, but it's one of the easiest books to read. It's free on Kindle and on uh, online PDF version. Uh, or you can buy the uh, audiobook as well. But it's, I mean, the chapters it's are probably a, two pages. fantastic place to There's start. There's pictures. Yeah. I mean, it's, Videos, it's really easy. Yeah. QR codes. And you, but, but basically, you get the philosophy of, I can always do everything better. Exactly. And, uh, and when, that, when that happens, you're really, you're a different company. There's just there's nine different kinds of waste I think in the eight, book eight, or eight yeah sorry eight, and eight. we're talking to we're, we have a guest Colin Reed who's going to be talking about this next, next week next yeah. our next episode but uh, I think one of the ways that you can really improve and I'm actually doing this inside of my company right now is really utilizing your employees' knowledge where are we wasting time where are we wasting our you know, our energy and what can we be improving this and same thing can happen for any of the contractors out right. there use your employees' knowledge and see where the inefficiencies are and how you can cut costs, how you can eliminate time from your processes and do things a little bit easier. One, one of the ways to actually apply that this afternoon is, uh, I, I hate using words like value mapping because it's, it's like flow charts and I just go, <laughs> yeah. That, that looks a little more theory than practice, right? Yeah. But value mapping is about things. There are things you do that the customer appreciates and therefore you appreciate, they make a difference to you, mm-hmm. and there are things that you do that don't. Uh, for example, driving to a job, you, you have to do it, but it's a waste of time, it's not making you any money, right? Right. It's consuming your capacity and not making you any money. But one thing that you can do is, call it value map. <laughs> yeah. Uh, something that we did with Sergio, who was more money, more better. Yeah, uh, this more happened problems. recently. <laughs> more money, more problems, yeah. more, more better. <laughs> Hey, I'm not of that generation. Um, but we he has some pieces of equipment. Well, we'll just talk about one, the saw. Uh, and what we are working on with Sergio is analogous to what we're doing with that uh, builder. We've got to get more out the door without increasing costs, without increasing overhead costs. Still got to buy the granite, right? But what are we, no more guys, no more overtime, you know, we get it out the door. Number one thing we did was began to accurately track it. Uh, we would talk about the square foot footage you got out every week in our coaching. Oh, about this, you know. Oh, about this. But numbers didn't show up in the profit and loss. So we got software, and it took uh, three, four months to get it really working. Well, it turns out he's about, what, 75% of that in wow. reality, right? Yeah. So now we're talking about lean improvements here. Sure. Well, so we go, wow, what the heck, you know? And uh, the way that happened was he kind of double count things. Oh, we did this job this week and that was this much, but we didn't really finish it. We finished it next week. Mm-hmm. Well, next week we counted that job again because it was in the, anyway, uh-huh. that's, that, that's happened. But once we got accurate numbers, we, we go, okay, this is it. And I'll just give you an example of one of the things he did. The first step in his uh, process is a saw, right? So he goes to the saw operator. To your, he goes, hey man, we got to get more out of here. He goes, well, I'll tell you what, if you would have these guys who are basically janitorial type guys, get the stones and rack them right here. That'll save me about 20 minutes for every slab I got. 20 freaking minutes. Wow. Then he goes, I used to have a remote control, but a forklift ran over a couple of years ago. Remote control, he put the slab on the saw and there's a laser indicator there and he'd go down there and line it up. 
and then you have to go around the other end of the saw and clamp it, come back and see if it moves. Go anyway. With this uh, remote, he stands right there, centers the slab, clamps it. If it moves a little bit, anyway, saves him ten minutes. Right. So we're at thirty minutes per slab. I won't talk about how many slabs he does. It's a lot, right? Yeah. And that wasn't the end of it. We kept on going. We anyway, we did some things with water that was like, wow, it saved money because we're not buying near as much water and save time because of the process. But we, they need, they use a lot of water. The other thing was they do templates, right? So uh, templates are just patterns. Everybody knows what they are in, on this audience. But they're these patterns for countertops, and somebody goes out and measures them and makes them out of plastic or... Yeah. Uh, and then they hang them on a rack with the name of the customer on it. And so there might be 10 of these things. Well, the guy goes... Hey, I got to walk over there and sort through those and find all of them that are going to the Johnson place and then take them over and use them. And he might have missed one, right? So you get a whole job done and there's a whole thing missed. So what do we do? This, this was really stressful to make this decision. We tied a string around <laughs> so all of them were grouped together and hung a tag on it that said, Johnson, you can see it from across the room, right? Yeah. So I don't know what what that say, but, and there are more. They're just things it's like endless. that. And, and the way for guys to think about it is what, what if you're a concrete saw cut guy, right? I'm making money when that saw is running. It's not running right now. Why not? Some things you gotta drive to the job, always gonna be there, but he didn't have the right dimensions, he didn't know the right address, but you, why not? What's keeping that? What's the Another one is, is finishing in uh, yeah. in all the cabinets. That's the kill. I mean, it's a bottleneck. It, yeah. Stupid finishing, you know, <laughs> just stupid finishing. Because you got to spray paint stuff, and then you got to sand it, and then it got to go back through and get let painted it dry. again. Yeah, and you got to let it dry for twenty minutes. That's one place paint companies are making up. You know, they they know it. But anyway, it goes through there four times. Maybe it goes through there three times, and you dent it. Or scratch it and you gotta do the whole thing you know anyway it's, it's terrible so we're literally looking at several places on is that spray gun running mm -hmm. if not why not and fix that it might not be running because your paint guys mixing paint and pouring it in the buckets someone else can be doing it yeah so it, it really and you say oh well that doesn't matter that much yes it does if you can a two second lead if you can save two yeah. seconds it's worth it yeah Absolutely. And they can save a lot more than that. Yeah, so. absolutely. The last last uh, strategy that I want to go through for inflation, and again, it's, a, it's something that you should be considering all over the place, but there's some some work as a contractor that's just really hard to increase your margins because you will lose the bid if you do increase it too much. It's just... If you increase it price-wise. Price-wise, yeah. correct. If you, if you try to increase your margin too much, it, it becomes too difficult for the builder right. to accept your bid. And uh, talking to a cabinet shop last week about this, and they have they do extremely well for a cabinet shop, and uh, one of the bigger ones in the area. About ninety percent of their work is for builders, and their margins are so tight because of it. And with inflation, it's just not that feasible to continue the same amount of volume of work at the same margin. They're just they're going to crumble, and so they're having to pivot to higher margin work where they're working directly with the homeowner, directly with the business owner. 
and um, it, there's a different strategy for that. But that's another thing that you can consider is going after some of that higher margin work. So where yes, you can increase your prices, but you're still, you know, inside the the market value for homeowners. Right. Uh, and so that's something that you can definitely consider. And there's different ways to approach it than for the builders, but start thinking about in general, which of my work has the highest margin? How can I get more of that? Not just more volume because of sales. No, let's do more value, more volume of the higher margin work. Um, and so just looking at that as your business and knowing, understanding your numbers of, Hey, this is really good work, but our margins are not right. nearly as good as this side of the business. And there's demand for that side of the business. Let's go and get it. Yeah. We had Michael Barnett on here, uh, electrical contractor. Yeah. And when I first started working with him, he did three kinds of work. He did uh, wiring houses, did commercial new and residential. Oh, and service work. And service. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, wiring houses, new houses was really attractive because it was a lot of money and they pay every Friday. So mm -hmm. this cash flow, it was a lot of money. But when we got books sufficiently done that we could look at margins, uh, I mean, I'm going to say 5%, don't remember exactly, but it was what I've always, I told Michael this, I said, that's one of those jobs where if a, a box of fittings falls off your truck, you lose money. And he laughed and he said, hell no, man, I got to find a box of fittings to make money, right? They're so tight, the margins are so tight. So he quit doing that, took yeah. his resources and pointed them towards uh, service work and new uh, commercial construction. And if I'm right, I haven't talked to Michael for a while, um, but he pretty much got out of the new commercial construction, started yeah. doing service. I work. think he's only service. That's that's where the margins were. And I'm gonna call him. I'm gonna call him today. He's a great guy. But in case he's listening, I had to say that. But yeah, he he. The other thing was he he had the courage to do that. Yeah. I mean, when when somebody's you know tens of thousands of dollars a week many tens of thousands of dollars a week coming in on Friday always helps make payroll. Of course, the flip side of that is I wouldn't have had to payroll if I weren't doing that. But anyway, <laughs> it's, it's cash flowing. looks like a lot of money. looks good on the top line. Get to tell everybody how big your company is. Oh, we did $10 million last year. Well, it doesn't matter if you're not making any money. Yeah. So he had the courage to quit doing that mm -hmm. and had, a, had the, the courage to eventually wind down the new commercial construction, which is the bid work yeah. that, that you talked about and go into residential where the margins are highest. It's complicated. You got to route people. You're dealing with the public, you know, but it pays. And that's basically what he does. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and you bring up a good point there about courage and it's kind of how I want to wrap up this episode is, you know, to do these right things, whether they're, we're in a time of inflation or not, but especially during the urgent times that we're in, it requires some confidence and some courage. And a lot of people don't make these types of decisions and make these efforts because of imposter syndrome, because right. they are fearful of what other people think. They're fearful that they're not good enough, that they're going to make the wrong decision, that it's not going to pan out, uh, that they're going to lose business. There's so many things that they're concerned about. And you have to stop and ask yourself, like, well, if I don't do something, what's the result? Right. And would you rather just crash and burn and be completely wiped out? Or would you rather actually try to make it out the right way? I think we need to do a future episode where we dive into imposter syndrome in depth. But there's a great Chinese saying that he who hesitates is lost. Absolutely. And that 
thinking about it is not doing it, right? And I mean, there, there you go with the difference between theory and practice, mm-hmm. right? Is you've got to actually do it. And it takes courage. And I think really we should devote a whole episode to imposter syndrome yeah. and what that is. We have one called self-confidence is key, a deep right. dive that we did. We can do another one on imposter syndrome for sure. Um, yeah, don't, don't hesitate. Don't delay. Now's the yeah. time. Start looking for efficiencies. Start increasing your prices. Start going after higher margin work, not just more volume, not just bigger jobs, but what's actually going to pan out for you as a successful business owner. So, man, it's been fun. Uh, we've yep. covered a lot with inflation. There's obviously it's impacting people faster than it is some others. If you have stories, we'd love to hear them. Send them to us. If you have questions about inflation or um, anything that we can do research on and, and talk about on the podcast, we'd love to do that with you. Uh, so just follow us on social media, send us a message. Uh, you can email us through the links that are in the show notes. And yeah, we appreciate all of yep. you guys listening. Um, Martin, it's good to be back. Yes, it is. All right, Thanks, see you. See you. Thanks for listening to The Cashflow Contractor. Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.